This is a Federal News Network podcast. After 35 years of federal service, a career Army officer and human capital executive has decided to ply his trade again in the private sector. Blair Duncan has done strategic workforce development at both the Commerce and Health and Human Services departments. Now he has joined the Golden Key Group as Executive Vice President for Federal Innovation and Transformation. And he joins me now. Mr. Duncan, good to have you on. Thanks, Tom. Great to be here. And just review for us your career, because it's kind of an unusual one with respect to someone that's been in and out of government, military and civilian side. Yeah, it is a very strange career. As you mentioned, 21 years in the military. In the Army, I was an aviator, and I did strategic human capital for the Department of Defense in the Army. Following that, I retired, and I worked for a uh, contractor, with, uh, Beltway contractor, for about eight years, doing human capital work solely for the federal government, mainly the civilian side, with some DOD experience in there as well, because of my background. Following that, I started my own company for a little bit, and what I found was I wasn't able to really make an impact from being on the outside. I wanted to come back into the federal workspace, so I applied for a federal job just like anybody else would, and I was picked up by NOAA, Department of Commerce, to work in their HR organization. I did that for about five years, and then, well, I actually applied for a job within the Department of Health and Human Services picked up for that position, and I just left the Department of Health and Human Services, uh, where I was the uh, Deputy Assistant Secretary for Human Resources and the Chief Human Capital Officer. So it was a very varied career, but the majority of it was, except for the actual flying part, I was working with people. How do you optimize people sure. and the processes and getting there? By the way, were you vertical lift or horizontal in the in I the was Army? a helicopter. I did. Uh, I flew UH-60s. Right. I had a wonderful career flying. It was great time. And I guess people often overlook the fact that the Army, the armed services are in many ways basically human training and development organizations as much as technical and combat organizations. Fair way to characterize it? Absolutely. I mean, the first thing you learn in in the military in any position is leadership. You're training. You're, You're responsible for these people. You're responsible for the outcome of what happens every day. So it's ingrained in you. It's leadership. It's training. It's getting the best from the folks that you have and um, taking care of them. That's important. And talking about the civilian side of the work you have done in human capital and what they used to call HR and before that personnel, I guess human capital is more encompassing as to the totality of it. And the government's talking a lot about modernizing HR and human capital What does that mean from your standpoint, and what could be done to modernize how the government approaches people? I separate the two. I separate HR and I separate human capital. The reason why I do that is because there is always going to be a need to do the transactional type of human resource activities that have been traditional. We can go back to civil service reform of 1978. We're still doing those human resource requirements that you need to basically track, pay, promote, retire, and hire all these folks, those are the HR activities, more transactional, whereas the human capital side is more on the strategic side. How do you do large-scale programs? Performance management, I would consider as a human capital side. So when you say modernization, what I'm looking at and what I was trying to do within the federal workspace is how do you modernize that HR? 
human resources, things that we've been doing the same way since 1978. So that's where there are so many opportunities with technology, with just the new software that's coming out. And that's what my focus is on. How do you take these new platforms, these, you know, RPA, all these things that are flooding the market, but you put them in a space where has traditionally been pure transactional work. That's my focus. We're speaking with Blair Duncan, former chief human capital officer at HHS, now executive vice president of the Golden Key Group. And that brings me to the question of the Office of Personnel Management. And that's been sort of a political football over the past number of years with administrations and has not had a clear direction and a consistent one with respect to, is it a policy organization? Is it a human capital development organization? Or is it strictly transactional to make sure the retirement benefits get calculated and the right rules get in place for the policies others decide? What's your view on OPM and where it should head? I definitely believe OPM should take the lead on becoming the government's premier human resources and human capital organization. They need to be the ones that not only set the policy, but they need to be the ones lobbying for new changes to policies. They need to be out front in how do we do things as a whole in the government, not just as a single entity. For instance, when I was the Chico, there are a lot of Chico agencies that we all do it in a different way. There needs to be somebody that at least sets the benchmark for where we can come together. Agencies come together. Agencies can collaborate together, and they're much more powerful than they are with just being left alone. And that's where I think OPM needs to come to the table, bring the Chicos together, bring the human resources community together, and be the government's voice for HR. One of the things I've always been an advocate of, you know, coming from the military, there's this thing called recruiting command. All the services have them. Their whole function is to get people to work for them. Where is the federal government's central point for recruitment? There isn't one. There could be one. How do we as a government recruit the Generation Zers? Well, there's a whole bunch of agencies out there doing it in a whole bunch of different ways. That's where I think OPM can come and pull the HR community together. And I think you'll have a much, much more powerful organization and sharing of those best practices. But then overseeing what gets done is also very important. And one of your initiatives while in the government was the running of the Chico Collaborative. And what did or does that do? And can that be a vehicle to feed up into OPM? I think the Chico Collaborative or the Chico Council is under OPM at this point anyway. Yes, the Chico Council is definitely under OPM. When I departed the federal government, I do know that the Chico Collaborative was still out there. Another Chico out there has taken over. And really what it was, was, and it's very important, and I'm really glad that we got to stand that up, was it was free for all to talk. It was a place to come, share your ideas, share your pain points, just to have that conversation. And as we went along, in the beginning, OPM really wasn't invited because OPM they have a bad rap in that, you know, you don't want them there. You don't want to let them know what you're doing because you might get told not to do it. But over time, we started to bring them in and they were very amenable to, hey, let's work with OPM. OPM's there to help. They really are. I truly believe that. And I know the leadership that's in there now is there to help the agencies. So over time, we began to bring them on and say, hey, OPM, what do you think about this? How can we work with OPM instead of maybe not with OPM? 
And briefly, while we have you, just tell us in a sentence or two about Golden Key Group. Yeah, Golden Key Group is a smaller organization. And what drew me to Golden Key Group was their leadership. Their leadership is all about trying to make the federal government HR workspace a better place. How do we as a contractor go in and help them become more effective and efficient? Not in the old-fashioned way where you do studies and analysis, but really go in and say, here, I'm going to show you a product that actually will help you. And it's more in the RPA and, and the technology and the transformative approach. And that's what this agency wants to do. Got they it. want to be at the forefront of technology. All right. And anything can be done to help, as we mentioned earlier, those retirement calculations, which are done apparently by hand and paper and a Victor adding machine. You would be shocked at what gets done via the old paper method in the HR workspace. <laughs> Actually, I don't think you would be shocked. You just mentioned one right there. <laughs> All right. Blair Duncan is former chief human capital officer of HHS, now executive vice president of the Golden Key Group. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way 
to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, Absolutely. Um, What I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to, to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that, I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-Stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon. 
and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.